the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now, here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. Our text is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Most of us, if not all of us, have in one way or another, have encountered this very famous parable in the Bible. So let me read beginning in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, was, he has him back and safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know what? I love a good story with a twist. I don't know about you, but uh, if you've seen the movie like uh, The Sixth Sense, you know, where you go through the entire movie only to find out in the end a staggering twist of what was going on in that whole thing. I love movies like that because, because it leaves you bewildered and enlightened at the same time when you discover the twist in the story. When the big reveal or the twist in the story unravels, it's both shocking and exhilarating at the same time. And that's exactly what this parable is like. It is a story with a number of twists. This parable is better known as the parable of the prodigal son. Some call it the parable of the lost son. Some say this is a parable of the loving father. But this morning I will refer to this parable as the parable of the good brother. This is a story with an amazing twist, actually several of them. And so to understand and appreciate this incredible story, we must recognize that it is in fact a parable. And what is a parable? It's a fictitious story that has a singular meaning. Every time you read a parable, understand that it is not a true story. It's a story that is fictitious, but it has one thought in mind, and one teaching in mind. And that's a very important thing to consider when reading the parable, especially in the New Testament. Now, in studying these parables, it's important for us to also recognize that the characters in the story are important, but they are not the focal point of the story. Don't get caught up with the characters so much within the parable, but focus on the message that the parable is teaching. Don't be too concerned about assigning names or, or representations to the characters in the Bible and, and, and put actual people in place of the characters in the story. For example, in this parable, it's, it's easy and it's tempting uh, to say that the father in the story represents God. And also, we, we often say the, uh, the older brother is representative of those religious leaders in the story. Uh, and, and some even say that the younger brother represents the tax collectors and sinners in the context of the parable. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. In fact, it's legitimate to assign those, those characters uh, to represent you know, the, main, the main people in the story. But don't be focused. Don't be preoccupied with the characters. Instead, focus on the message or the theme of the parable. So to get that theme, we need to understand and identify the context, the occasion that prompted Jesus to tell this parable in the first place. And the context is found in the first two verses of Luke chapter 15. It says... Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law saw this, they muttered and said, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Now, to understand why Jesus told this parable, we need to understand what was going on. Jesus uh, was, was in a place, uh, was in a gathering, wherein there are Pharisees, teachers of the law in there, and also tax collectors, and sinners. And apparently, the religious people, the righteous people, the good people, couldn't understand why somebody of Jesus' stature... Remember, Jesus uh, was very famous by this time, all right? He was the most well-known rabbi of the day. He was also the most feared. Why was he feared by most people? Because he taught people with a great deal of wisdom and authority, while at the same time he backed up his teachings with miracles. So that's a, that's a double dose of, uh, of power, and people knew it. And now these Pharisees was, was looking at this whole situation where Jesus was, was having a good time fellowshipping with everybody. And they couldn't understand why someone who was supposed to be a representative of God could possibly hang out with sinners and eats with them, even forgives their sins. They couldn't wrap their heads around that. In their way of thinking, God is supposed to be on the side of the good people, of the righteous. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were regarded by the entire nation as those who represent what righteousness really is. They are teachers of the law. And they obey the law to the dot. And so when, when the Pharisees saw that Jesus, uh, this righteous man who was living an impeccably perfect life, was hanging out with tax collectors and all types of sinners, they just couldn't grasp it. They asked themselves, shouldn't, shouldn't somebody of Jesus' caliber, Jesus' stature, shouldn't, be, shouldn't he be on the side of the good people, the righteous people? If Jesus was to hang out with people, shouldn't he hang out with the righteous rather than the sinners? Why would he associate himself with bad people? They just couldn't understand why a rabbi, a righteous man, in fact, a, a, a perfect man, could possibly enjoin himself with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. Now, before we judge the Pharisees <laughs> and the righteous teachers, the teachers of the law, before we judge them, let's remember that Jesus never rejected their attempts to live righteously. Okay? Jesus never rejected their attempts to obey the law. To be obedient to the law of God. No more than Jesus will reject anyone who's trying to live a godly life. All right? Jesus never rejected the Pharisees because of their honest attempt to obey the law. I mean, who would do that? There wasn't any kind of rejection. Sure, there were Pharisees that were hypocrites in Jesus' day. Amen? 
They existed, and those Jesus rejected flat out. He exposed them. So we can understand that not all of these religious teachers and Pharisees, we understand that not all of them are genuine, but many of them were. One of them, Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus was a, was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and it was to Nicodemus when Jesus declared, for God so loved the world. So we can't judge these Pharisees simply because they're making an attempt to be righteous before God. And Jesus really did not reject their efforts. He never rejected these Pharisees' efforts to be righteous, even, even if they deplore uh, the sinners. He never rejected their attempt to be holy. What Jesus wanted them to do is to go beyond the righteousness that they have. To go beyond. He wanted them to take their righteousness to the next level. That's very important in this, in this parable, okay? The taking of that righteousness to the next level. In fact, Jesus will say to his disciples, unless you surpass the righteousness of the pharisaical group, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't rejecting the attempt to be righteous. He wanted them to move to the next level. And that's what this parable is all about. Jesus was addressing a righteousness that is missing something. And that's, that's a clue to understanding the parable. Jesus says, you're living a righteousness, a kind of righteousness that is missing something. Okay, what is it that was missing with the religious leaders and the Pharisees? And here it is. They have an incomplete understanding of God's love. Sure, they're living righteous lives, but their righteousness is predicated by the law, by a legal system. They do not completely understand the love of God. Their understanding of the love of God is deficient. It's incomplete. They cannot get past the legal requirements imposed to them by the law that permeates their life. And so many people today are good and godly people. You can agree with that. You have seen so many godly people, even in our world today, religious people, but they lacked an understanding, a complete understanding of God's love. And that, loved ones, is the main theme of this parable, okay? The main teaching of this parable, Jesus was revealing something in this parable, and that becomes the theme of this parable, and that is this, and you can agree with this, okay? The theme of the parable is that God's love is made complete in Jesus. So when you read this parable, Understand that the theme of the parable is this. God's love is made complete in Jesus Christ. Now, in a few weeks, we will embark on a series of messages on uh, biblical marriage. And I will tell you, an overwhelming, overwhelming problem in marital relationships today is not lack of love. It's incomplete love, an incomplete understanding of love. I tell you, a lot of spiritual problems that 
people today have had nothing to do whether they love God or not. Okay? You ask a regular person, a regular spiritual Christian person, or whatever they hold, whatever religion they hold, if you ask them if they love God, the, the God that they worship, you will probably get a 99.9% of the time a yes answer, right? Because spiritual problems doesn't stem from a lack of love of God. It comes from an incomplete understanding of God's love. That's why when Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? And everybody knows the greatest commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all. Let me ask you a question, those of you who are watching this thing. Raise your hands. How many of you have loved God with all? Raise your hand. I didn't think so. I don't even know how to put my head around that. If you raise your hand, you're a liar. I can tell you that without being contradicted. Come on now. Listen. And Jesus says the next greatest commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who has done that? Listen, people. It's not that we don't love God. It's just we don't have a complete understanding of the love of God. And that's where we struggle. That's why the parable teaches this, that God's love is made complete in Christ Jesus. We can't experience the complete love of God by our own good deeds or by being religious. We cannot do that. Why? Because the Bible says all of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. This is an unachievable thing in our own mechanism. This doesn't happen in our own way. This has we have to be put in a place where we can do this, okay? So I want you to, to begin to, li- to think about this, 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 to think this way as we go through the parable. Only in Jesus can we experience the fullness of God's love. And how was that complete love unveiled in this parable? I'm glad you asked, okay? Here are the points of the sermon. If you're taking notes, fine. If you're not, just listen. In Jesus, number one, we see God's loving kindness. In Jesus, we see God's loving kindness. That's the first revelation of the completeness of God's love. In Jesus, we really behold God's loving kindness. The word loving kindness is an Old Testament word that describes God's love. The word is hesed. Remember that. That's the Old Testament description of God's love. It's an Old Testament concept of love that is based on a covenant that God made first with Abraham and then to the entire nation and then that will be extended to the whole world. Okay? It's that hesed love. It's the idea that two parties... It is an Old Testament idea that two parties, God and the nation, okay, will enter into a mutual agreement to owe each other affection. Okay? That's the idea behind this Hesed love. It is based 
on an exchange of obligation. Very important. Okay? That's why if you read the Old Testament, you will always hear these words. God saying to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. There is an exchange of obligation. Okay? It's a contract that both parties are expected to honor. There will be a mutual exchange of love. God will say, obey me and I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. All right? That's important. What does 2 Chronicles 7.14 say? We all know this, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. That is the covenant hesed love that God has imposed between him and his people, okay? They are to go ahead and express this in their life, okay? The Old Testament says, you are to pay good with good and pay evil for evil, right? Jesus even says, the Old Testament says, an eye for an eye, okay? Just bear, bear with me on this. This is all going to make sense to you by the time this, is, this thing is all over, okay? The Old Testament says, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, that's, that's, that's based on this obligatory exchange of what is owed. And God gave them a whole bunch of laws in order to make sure that this kind of relationship is carried out between, between Him and the people and between His people. Jesus even ratified this in the, Old, in the New Testament when He says, Do unto others what you want them to do for you. And Jesus called it, the golden rule. That is the Old Testament concept of hesed. Okay? Now, in the parable, we find this type of loving relationship being shown in the story. The father figure in the parable had two sons, and he loved them both. Their father owed them that love. It's based on the covenant. Okay, And we know that because the, the, the story says that, that the father divided his property between them. Okay? That's why we know that this is a contractual thing. There's this, there is, this, is a, this is an agreement here. Okay? Love is owed both, and the, both the sons understood that, that covenant they have with their father. As long as they're in their father's house, they will serve their father. And you know what? The father will bless them, right? As long as they're inside the father's household. Now, in the story, something unexpected happened, okay? And this is the first twist in the parable, okay? And we all know what happened. The younger son wanted out of the contract. He said to his father, Give me my share of my inheritance. He actually dishonored the contract. The son did, the younger son. Not only did he do that by asking for his share and leaving, he also shamed his own father. You know why? Because normally, before you get your share, you wanted the father to die 
first before you can take claim of your inheritance. But this guy in the story, now Jesus was twisting this thing now, okay? In the story, we find that the younger son says, I don't care if you live or you're alive or you're dead. I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. And he got it and he left. And we all know what happened to him, right? In the story, the younger son squandered all of his money by living wildly. And then uh, he, he fell into hard times. He suffered. He became poor. Actually, to become poor is an understatement. The Bible says in the story, the parable says that he, he, was, he was craving for what the pigs were eating, but he couldn't even get that. No one wanted to give him even what they're giving to the pigs. So he became the lowest of the low. Then he realized that he blew it. And you know what he did? He repented. And he started rehearsing his repentant words. He started saying, I have sinned against heaven and against my father. I am not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make me your servant. He was rehearsing this because he, got, he came into his senses and he figured out that he needed to go back. Okay. Now, he, he, here, here's the story where it's the most moving. The story says, when his father saw him coming back... The father ran to him. Now watch this. He wrapped his arms around this kid and he kissed him. Did he say to his son, well, I'm glad you learned your lesson. No, no, no. Do you know what he said to his servants? Quick, get the ring, get the robe, get the cow. We're going to have a party as if the son didn't do anything at all. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.